Stay tuned. Broadcasting live worldwide. Talkline Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. We are online 24-7. And now... You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now your host. We are back. I'm getting a lot of response to this segment, so we're, if we're going to get to your phone calls, we'll get to your emails, so everybody, please be patient. We're looking at what happens, unfortunately, when there is a divorce in the Hasidic community and one spouse leaves and may not be as Hasidish or as religious as they were when they were married. What do you do with custody? Some educational issues that are that have been raised in the Hasidic community. With us right now is Dr. Hannah Leibowitz. She's a PhD professor of public affairs at University of Texas, Arlington. She's extensive experience teaching about working government and nonprofit spaces. She deals with her research on community development, and she also studies the way that social and spatial identity impact the ability of communities to thrive. She's been published in peer-reviewed books, and her public writing has been featured in a local, national, international outlet. She's a from woman who attended BJJ Seminary, Torah College, to prior to receiving her Ph.D. at Cleveland State University. She currently lives with her husband and two children in Dallas, Texas. Beatrice Weber is a mother of 10, writer, speaker, passionate about improving Hasidic boys' education, and she's looking to empower women to her voice. She lives in Brooklyn with her two youngest children and her puppy, Ginger, and uh, we welcome both of you to the program. So thank you for joining us. Good vach. Good vach. Thank you for having me. So let's look. I know you're with a group, I believe it's called One Parent. So let me start with you, Beatrice. So you're not part of the Hasidic community anymore. You left. So what is your status as far as with some of your children, all of you? I know you have 10 kids, and I believe two of them are living with you right now. Correct. Most of them are adults by now. Most of them are in their 20s. So I I live with my two youngest. And are you in in touch with your oldest children? Are you have communication with them? What's What's the status? Yeah, you know, it gets complicated with divorces um, in, in the community, especially, you know, um, leaving a marriage with so many children. Um, but, you know, try to focus on the positive and the interactions that I do have with them, which is most important. Now, and this I, t- I turn to our professor. Uh, so let me ask you this, uh, Dr. Leibowitz. So, yeah, I know you studied the Hasidic community as well. I, I know there's issues with custody of the children when a spouse leaves, especially when one turns non-observant. Um, so what have you found? Because I can understand where there is a sensitivity. It's not just physical custody. There's something called spiritual custody of the children, too. Uh, yeah. Hi. Thanks for having me on. Um, so a few things. Uh, first of all, I think it's important to recognize that a lot of parents, uh, well, first of all, general are very complicated uh, individual cases can vary. Uh, the individual facts of a case are very important. Um, and it's not really the business of the community, what goes on between parents, a child, and the court. Uh, it's about what's best for the child. Um, it's also really important to recognize that a lot of divorces are, in, are inherently messy. And for many people who are in the Hasidic community, just engaging in the process of dealing with a divorce, they might not go into it you know, wanting to leave the community or not be religious. Uh, but through the process and seeing some of the 
some of what happens in the community when you want to just leave a marriage can push people out um, and can can force people to start to think, wow, I, I don't really want to be a part of this system anymore. Um, and so, you know, thinking about those two things are not, those aren't the narratives that we usually hear when we hear about these stories. Uh, very often, you know, it's seen as one parent is the good parent, the religious parent wants to stay in, wants to, wants to make things work. And the other parent is just looking to run away and leave and have nothing to do with religion, nothing to do with their children. And that's just not true. Um, and so what, a lot of what we, you know, what we're concerned about in right to parent is that there still be a focus on the ability of a parent to do that, to be a parent, to be an active parent, and not these narratives that are around this parent, which make it more difficult for the family, the child, and the court to be able to determine what's really best for the child. Now, you said something about the community should be involved, but if you're dealing with religious issues, certainly that's an important component of religious community. I remember years ago there was a Denver Bezin where they had a joint Bezin for conversion of Orthodox conservative reform, and there was a case of a couple that who got married and the woman converted. She was not that religious as a Christian, but you know, after she got divorced, she became religious Christian, took her kids every day to church, and the courts awarded the father spiritual custody of the kids because there is such a thing as spiritual custody, so I don't want to negate that that's a very important component. And yes, m divorce is messy, and the no divorce is really good. And you put religion to it, and it could complicate things more. But I think we have to be sensitive to the religious aspect as well. So I think that that's actually much more complex. Uh, first of all, uh, when you're talking about a, a case that goes on in a basin, that's not the same as a case that goes on in a secular court. That's very important to recognize. I don't know if there's any parents out here who are listening who are seeking a divorce or anything like that, but what goes on in a basin or what goes on with an Askin is not the same as what's going to go through a secular court system. And ultimately, the secular court system and that custody is what you really have to deal with. So don't sign anything if you don't have a lawyer. Um, make sure that you don't go through that process, because actually that is not what we're talking about. We're talking about the law. We're talking about secular custody. And we're talking about all of the elements that come with that. And when it comes to those cases, it's really a matter of which side can wear down the court faster than the other one. And when an entire community rushes behind one one parent and and, and raises a million dollars for that one parent, it's not about what's best for the child anymore. It's about who can best wear down the court over and over and over again with motion after motion after motion. And you've moved away from even the idea of what's best for the child spiritually because you're just playing the game. And that's not a fair game. And then you lose what's even going on here. What's about the child, the parents, and the court? Beatrice, what is your story when you went through the divorce? Yeah, so I can't speak to the whole story. As I mentioned to you earlier, I can't get right, into sorry, the specifics. You, you were dealing, but I, still dealing with it in legal issues. I know there's certain... Yeah, yeah, but I, I can I can tell you in generally, I actually went through a based-in uh, um, process for over a year, and I'll definitely echo what Hannah said in terms of I, w I was shocked. I was shocked at the process. I was, you know, I was a wife of a Rush Kolal and very much in the community, um, experienced a lot of the... Um, privilege of being in the community and really you know uh, though I, obviously I didn't learn Gemara but we had always learned you know Gitzin comes before Kedushin right a, a woman is allowed to get a divorce right you know and, and I was shocked and horrified at the process I was sure that when I would speak up and when I would say you know it, it, I can't do this marriage anymore I would get support instead there was 
uh, incredible manipulation, pressure, and uh, all kinds of things happening over that year while I worked, tried to work together with the Basin. And ultimately, they actually ruled that I should lose custody of all my children. That was overturned because we live in New York State, and New York State does not will not take what a based in or slash arbitration uh, in terms of custody of the children um, because they believe that you cannot give that over to anybody else. So that's also important to know that um, the only way custody is handled in New York state is through, through the court system, you know, and actually I found the court systems to be pretty fair. Uh, unfortunately, as of late um, and very likely, and this is kind of where it overlaps with education uh, you know, I spoke up about the education issue, uh, which some of your um, listeners might be aware of that, in you know, in the Hasidic community, the boys receive extremely medi- mediocre education, um, graduating with maybe a fourth grade level education if, if they're lucky. You know, I started speaking up about it and that seems to have gotten my ex to get a lot of financial support. Now, again, financial support means you know, again, echoing what Hannah said, those ongoing, most constant emotions, which I will say have a tremendous detrimental effect on the child. You can frame it as, you know, something spiritual, you know, the spiritual custody or whatever else. But I, I will tell you as a mother that children that have to be, that have to speak to their lawyers on, on a, a, an ongoing basis and have to know that there's this pressure going on, it is, there's nothing spiritual or religious about it. And on the contrary, it's very, very helpful, harmful now, to you, their emotional and religious you, development. You, when you were going through the divorce, were you still religious, not religious at that point in time? Oh, completely religious. Absolutely. I was a Rebson, uh, of course. Uh, th- there was no question in my mind of uh, even speaking up about any issues or taking a stand for any issues. And I will say, and I will say this, <laughs> a message, you know, to, to, to the rabbis in the community. Be very careful how you hand, handle women who want to leave bad marriages. They deserve respect. They deserve support. And it only pushes them out if they don't get that during the process. So at what point did you decide that you were not going to be Orthodox anymore? Uh, you know, I, I don't like to describe myself as, quote unquote, not Orthodox. Yeah, I'm sorry. So you were saying. <laughs> I was saying that I don't. It, like it was not a plot. Myself. It wasn't a plot. Nobody was. Go, OK, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what, what is that? No, I, I, I said I don't I don't like to label myself, you know, orthodox, non-orthodox. I, that's not that's not the point. But what what did happen was I definitely looked at a system that I was raised in and I was raised, you know, completely in the system, um, being raised in a family that was very involved in communal life and, you know, being married into that and being very involved and very much um, uh, um, very much part of the system without no not questioning anything you know and trusting the system very much to a person that um became a little bit are things are things running the way they're supposed to be do do we need to speak up do things need to change you know really that shift i I would say was most significant and and that was i you know there were from my perspective, an extreme level of betrayal, expecting, you know, Rabbanan, who I'd spoken to all the years, who knew what was going on, you know, in my marriage, ended up um, taking such a strong stand. And as I mentioned, you know, um, deciding to give custody um, to, to a father that was really not 
again, as I mentioned, court didn't agree with that. It was really not the right way to go. But was so, it was um, the was the court was the best decision based on religious observance or because no, it was a male no. versus female? What what was the issue? I'm trying to, I, I, you know, I, I don't. Ben, I, I don't go think ahead, it's doctor. Appropriate for you to ask. Okay, that. I want to hold on. So let me turn to you yeah. and you study some of these cases. So overall, let's look at a general picture as opposed to a specific one. I understand the constraints, the legal constraints over here. So generally speaking, are what are some of the issues dealing with custody? Is it strictly that it's a man-woman, that they want to prefer to give it to the men? Is it a religious issue where they feel that the children won't get the Hasidic education they're currently getting? What has been the major impetus in those cases? I, I think it's all of the above. You know, it's a combination of all of the above. And oftentimes, there's um, it's more community pressure and, and other um, things that drive the decision rather than what's best for the child. Because and, and it's pro- mm-hmm. probably a combination of all of the above. Because and I understand where every, all the sides are coming from, but I can tell you that I remember being on a Pesach program where there was a woman who was divorced and who was wearing a skimpy outfit and had Hasidic children. So the other side of the picture is that sometimes you have situations where... But were her children being abused because she's wearing no, an inappropriate no, 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 outfit? No, 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 like, I, I think but, that but, that's no, no, not really up to you to decide how she dresses, no, no, right? Like, so miss, she has a First Amendment miss, right to she her has, own She can do whatever she wants, but when you have children involved, there also has to be a sensitivity to the children. If you're going to a Hasidic school and you take them someplace... But she wasn't in a Hasidic school. She She's in a Pesach program. Right, but right? I think the kids... So the how kids, do you know how she on, dresses kids, when she's with her kids okay. at her kid's school? Because the kids are there with her. But but they're not. she's not in their school. No, but right? What, so no, but I think I'm, this, but, but this is missing, part of the missing, problem here. But, is that, okay. but part of the problem, Zev, is, is the way that we frame this. That if you're going to say what's for the best for the kids, then you're talking about in this specific environment or what's expected of this parent in this environment and how to operate there. If you see that parent on their own doing their own thing, that's their that's their first amendment right they have to a express right, themselves but how they want to. The right and to that do, could have nothing it, to do, doesn't doesn't mean that's the that right, the right thing to do. to do with how they're raising their child or what the safety of their child is. They could also have a father. They could very easily have a father who has not been involved in a child's life since day one until their spouse decided to get divorced or until their spouse uh, through the process of divorce decided to leave the community that's also not emotionally healthy that's, that's, that's also correct. not good for that's them correct. but you wouldn't know that you wouldn't know that because no but what I'm, but I'm, but, I'm sa- but, hold on, but, but what I'm saying is something else if you're dealing with kids who grew up with a certain lifestyle and one parent is not that part of that community anymore do you also have to take the sensitivity of the children into account when you have custody of the child? No, for that actually, week? we have precedent for this. We actually have precedent for this. There is a there is a case that was very recent that were, where we do have precedent that actually, no, the parent has a First Amendment right to express themselves as they do. And as long as there's still a, a respect for things and a recognition of the way that things should operate within certain spaces, no, you don't have a right to say what a parent can and cannot do. And that has nothing to do with whether a child is doing I, well I, I, or not, I, I think, or healthy I think, or not. I think you're missing my point. If I'm not missing your point, Zev. I think, point. That, I think that the words that you're saying are words that a lot of people use to defend the way the community acts in these cases. And I'm pushing against them because I think that if you want to focus on the welfare of the, welfare of the child, that's a much deeper question than looking at what the mother wears or looking at what the father wears or looking at what the mother thinks about this or that or whatever. But unfortunately, very often, that's where these decisions are being made. That's where these decisions are made. Instead of saying what's really best for the child, it's, oh, I saw the mother going to death, so that must not be good for the child. Uh, but, How do you know? 
How do you know that? No, but let, know? Hold, hold on. If you're, if a child is used to a certain level of education, a Hasidic education, and you're exposing the child to a different lifestyle, which the parent has. What? A, hold on, hold what on, are hold, you hold, hold, hold on. You're interrupting me, so I gave you the courtesy of speaking. Please give me the same courtesy. So what I'm saying to you is, if a child is going through a different. A lot, going to a different life, so they're not used to going to their yeshiva. Shouldn't that be respected? Forget the courts. You can. It's a free country. You can do whatever you want. That's not the issue. The issue: what is best for the child. That's what you're framing it at. And what I'm saying to you is, I understand the side. If you have an abusive father and you have a bad relationship, and the father was not involved in the child's life, and now the father is with so divorce, understood. What about the flip side, where you have a mother, for example, who the kids are in the Hasidic yeshiva and will expose them to a different lifestyle, which is not which is inimical to what they're used to in the school, and that's where it's upsetting. You have to understand that as well. You have to look at so the first, so first of all, first of all, you have to ask, is that really upsetting for a child? How upsetting is that? What if a child is going to, is going to a certain school and is actually experiencing a lot of bullying, is actually experiencing getting hit by their teacher, is experiencing a lot of different things. And opening, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, I'm not saying about you take the kid out of a Hasidic school and you send them to a public school. I don't know what that, I don't know what that is, but I'm just saying the assumption that where the child is right now, or the level of education the child is getting right now is truly what's best for them is not necessarily true. And that's why we give parents a right to parent, right? Parents have a right to decide whether they want that for their child and what is best for their child. And just because you get divorced does not mean you lose your right to parent. You still have a right to parent. You are still that child's parent. And if over the course of that divorce, you say, for example, I really don't like my child's school. How is that any different than if you were still in the marriage and you didn't like your child's school? It's not different. You still have a right to parent. You have you have a right to parent. There's no question. But if it's a joint thing where you have a situation where a, a parent, when you have, listen, you ha let's look at it this way: when a couple are married and the kids are growing up and they're used to a certain way, and then one parent, whatever, whether it's male or female, decides to leave. I would assume in most cases, a lot of cases, it's the women. But you have men that decide to leave too. The community. I would assume that men who leave the community have the same kind of issues as women do, right? But the point is, though, if a child is used to a certain educational system and lifestyle and one parent has a different lifestyle, say, yes, they can do whatever they want, is it fair for the child to give them a different lifestyle when they're with that other parent? That's the issue that I think that I'm raising right now, and I think it's a legitimate issue. And Zed, there are, I'm sure there are many, many, many listeners here right now who are in marriages in which they don't necessarily agree with all the things going on in their marriage and the decisions for their children. And in fact, I know of many, many, many parents who are still in marriages, still in Hasidic marriages, where one parent does not like their child's school, or both parents don't really like the child's school, but don't have a lot of say in it. And if a divorce allows a parent for whatever reason, let's say, for example, in, in the marriage, they didn't have voice and now they're, they're in a divorce process or they're in a custody process and they do have voice, allows them to express that. Why is that a problem? Again, you're, we're coming from assumptions that a child's best welfare is to keep everything the same. That's not necessarily true. In fact, as a parent, we, I reassess where my child is at all times. That's what all of us have to do as parents. So how is that any different when you're divorced? It's not. It's not different. In fact, it's mm -hmm. one of the things that one of the things that some parents might find when they when they're able to be divorced is that they suddenly have autonomy they didn't have before. And that there were a lot of things that bothered them that they tried to voice or that they tried to say or they tried to make a point about, but they didn't have. 
Well, there's so lack of communication in marriage, and that's, that's a problem in marriages in general. If there's lack of communication, parents have to be on the same page. And if there's an issue and they're, they're divorced, it, it only gets worse if they're divorced, if they couldn't communicate when they're married. But certainly education for the children is one of the issues, I'm sure, that is what the what what we're grappling with over here tonight. And when we come back, we'll continue our conversation over our phone lines. We'll hear what people have to say as well. Dr. Hannah Liebwitz is a professor of public affairs at the University of Texas, Arlington. And uh, Beatrice Weber is a mother of tent writer and speaker. And we are looking at custody issues. We're going to look at educational issues in the Hasidic community. We're going to be right back. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hi, this is David Gabay, and you're listening to The Zev Brenner Show. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And we're looking at custody and Hasidic divorce cases. We'll look at education as well. Dr. Hannah Lee was the professor of public affairs, University of Texas. Beatrice Weber is a mother of 10, and she currently has two of her 10 children that are living with her. We're taking your phone call. Let's go to Joshua in Skokie. And from what I understand, let me look. Oh, Joshua is Joshua Shaney's associate professor of Jewish studies, College of Charleston. So, welcome. Thank you for joining us. You're listening to us at TalkLineNetwork.com. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for doing this excellent episode. Uh, I'm hearing a bit of a feedback. I hope you can hear me okay. Yeah, we hear you. Go uh, ahead. Yes. Uh huh. Go ahead. Phenomenal. This is so fantastic, and your guests are just so articulate and very courageous, and I appreciate it so much, you hosting them. So I just want to make a quick, I know there's a long line, I'd like to make a quick comment and a quick question. My comment is, I, I myself went through a divorce some years ago in the Chabad community, uh, and I won't go into all the details, it was, it's always a bit difficult situation. It was certainly the right one, I, I was married to someone who I didn't know, and there were health issues, and, and, uh, and I, parenting issues, and so on. Um, but I just want to say that when you go through the court system, uh, they take care of they consider everything um, they look at who is taking care of the children they look at the bond of the children to each of the parents they think about the right of each parent to decide what's best for the kids and if there's a difference of opinion they try to balance that for what's in the child's interest so when you ask a question about consistency the courts considering consistency and they're also going to look at everything else altogether and when the court says look uh, we have to balance these things we need to keep a strong relationship with both parents, especially the one who's been doing the primary caregiving. We need to think about uh, consistency, but we also need to think that a parent might decide, this is not best for my child, they're being bullied, they're getting no education, I'd rather go to a modern Orthodox school, or a modern Orthodox parent decides, actually, I prefer the Hasidic school, whatever it is. The courts are very good at that, uh, and we should. I, I just want to encourage all of your listeners and yourself to, to keep that in mind, having gone through it myself. And then my question is, uh, I know you must have a lot of listeners. I myself, it took me three years to muster the courage and the resources and to find where to go to file for divorce. And I'm wondering if, you're, if either of your uh, speakers can talk to listeners who might be out there who unfortunately are in a situation, either that they need to get, uh, they, need, they want to have maybe therapy, but they also have got to the point where whatever the reason, whether it's, God forbid, abuse or uh, of, of any kind, 
or just simply that they are at a point where they need to file for divorce or seek options, what advice they can give to your listeners. And thanks so much again. No, no problem. And thank you for sharing your story with us. Listen, anytime you go through a divorce, it's a horrible situation. And from what I'm hearing, people talk about the shit of crisis. There's a problem with people getting married. I hear there's a divorce crisis where we have an epidemic of divorce for a variety of reasons. And this goes through all segments of the, of the, from the religious community. Something which we have to grapple I, I, I with. I would agree with you about. I would. I would just say, you know, divorce is sad to a certain extent, but really, sometimes divorce is the right choice. Uh, it's never what you want when you're when you're first getting married or when you're a young you know young person looking to your life. But sometimes it's the right choice, and there and and people have to know that too. Was the reason why we have Gittin was the reason why we're not Catholics. You know, many reasons. No, listen, there, there is, a, yeah. there is a, such a thing as a get and getting divorced. We have a whole yeah. track day dealing with it, and that's and then the reason is because lots of times, unfortunately, a marriage doesn't work out, and if you try to reconcile and it doesn't work, then they have no choice. So I agree with I, you on I, that. I think that's right. I'll, yeah. I'll let our guests respond to you. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, I- yeah, I can take this one, um, Beatrice. Yeah, I, it's actually not as complicated as you think. I, I, I know, you know, in my process and other people that I know, it's really about mustering up the courage to actually do it. That's, I mean, it took me seven years, so I can absolutely relate to the three years that it took you. Uh, but it's really, it, this, the process is really simple. You know, it does involve professionals, right? Like anything, right? You file your taxes, you're using an accountant, right? So you, you want to file for divorce, you're going to have to go to an attorney and go to a professional. What ha- the, A problem that happens in the community, and I don't think this is um, unique to the Hasidic community, I think to, to all uh, um, from communities, but probably more more in, in the community, that you have people getting involved, you know, askanim, and people who, who think they know what to do and think they know the right step and will often, you know, provide you with advice or opinions that really are, are not accurate or are not necessarily for your benefit or for your children's benefit. So I would caution anybody that's in such a situation to make sure that you're turning to the right people, turning to the professionals that know what the next step is, turning to people you trust. You you, you can even have, you know, different abundance that will get involved that that's really, really is not their expertise and they don't really know what it takes to get out of, you know, a marriage. And again, whatever the issue is, you know, they don't really know what it takes to. So I, I would really caution to um, go to the professionals, you know, go to the attorney, go to the lawyer, speak to them, find out what the next step is rather than, you know, expending so much effort and energy on trying to work with people who may mean well and may want for your best and your family's best, but don't really know you know, what to do and how to go about it. Anyway, uh, thank you for your call. We appreciate it. Thanks, thank thank, you. thanks so much. My pleasure. Okay, let's go to, uh, uh, let's see, is that Dove with Charnowitz and Brooklyn? Go ahead, Dove. Yes, you're on the air. Go ahead, Dove. If Dove is not there, then we'll go to the next call. Yes. Go ahead, Dove. Yeah, hi. Okay. Your question or comment? So I wanted to address a number of points that they are you there? Yeah, you have to lower your radio. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, okay. I wanted to address a number of points. First of all, um, as I mentioned to Dove, and we've had a number of conversations, giving airspace to this is really contrary to the Torah. But I don't want to get into oh, hold that on. now. I, I, I don't know if you're the decisive what the Torah says you can't discuss. There's no reason okay, why. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You made a yeah, point. There's no reason why it can't be discussed. It's been in the media. It's well, been I'll the papers. Why can't you discuss the issue? I'll tell you why. Because you have guests on there that are validating going to the court system 
which is absolutely against halacha. At it the end of the day, when you get a divorce, after you, you, there is a divorce. No, you go to Besden. You go to Besden, but you, you go. To, but you, at, at some point, you go. You go to the. You go to divorce court. One minute. Only after, only after it's resolved, al pitora, and then you put it in the court system. Do you know there's a get law in New York that if somebody has trouble getting a get, they can the courts can. The can, get law in New York is absolutely unconstitutional. Everybody knows it. Anybody who's familiar with this, but I didn't call about this. I didn't want to get into a theoretical discussion about this. I just wanted to state this. I haven't listened to the whole episode. I only turned it on like five, ten minutes before I called, and there were a couple things. I just wanted to state this clearly, that in a Torah society, you are not allowed to go to court. If you have a question about that, anyone is free to look it up in Choshen Mishpat, which is the halachas that we follow. You could go to any qualified rav. When I say qualified rav, someone who puts Torah first. Anyways, anyway, your question or comment, because we have other callers, yes. so your question okay, or comment so let, is? Yeah, let me get to the thing. When they brought up that a parent has a right, this is not about parents' rights. My wife and I handle divorce cases, and the first question that people ask us is, whose side are you on? And our response immediately is the children's side. They didn't ask to be born. They didn't ask for their parents to go through a divorce. When, pe- when couples get married, and let's take out Yiddishkeit for the moment, and any couple who gets married and decides to have children, those children are an investment, just like business partners are an investment. Good. So your point is... Minute, my oh. point is that if two business partners decide to go into the dental business, if one decides to pull out, that doesn't give you the right to take the investments, mess them up, and put them into the food business or anything else. The two of you agreed upon something when getting married. Those children were born under that marriage. You have your right to leave that marriage, 100%, if you feel something's wrong. But you don't have the right to mess with those investments. You have... Uh, the, and the so your question of, is, that you want I'm to address... So your question to our guests is... My question to the guests is, how do you go ahead and put your rights as a parent before your children's rights? They come first. I'll let uh, any of our panel discuss that. Uh, hi, first, uh, this is Hannah. So first, I would just like to uh, recommend to any of your listeners that um, they never uh, solely sign anything from a basin, always have a lawyer there, don't sign anything from an Askin. Um, always recognize that you live in the United States of America, assuming you live in the United States of America, and that ultimately a custody agreement through the courts is the only thing that will be upheld. And you absolutely should go through the American legal court system. Uh, aside from that, I just want to point out that I think that that logic is very circular. Uh, you could say the same thing about a child not being asked to be uh, in a Hasidic school. You could say the same thing about a child not being asked to X, Y, Z. Ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, through American courts, through American precedent, uh, we say that parents, children, and the court have the right to determine what's best for the child. 
And that's ultimately what we're doing here. Uh, in our right to, right to parent, what as an organization, what we feel is that a parent still has a right to be in that in that space to continue to advocate for what's best for their child, to be a full partner in that effort to determine what's best for the child, and not to be um, discarded or not to be seen as less than because of their own First Amendment choices. Uh, again, I really, really, really want to encourage listeners to recognize that the American legal system is ultimately what will be making the determination for your custody cases. Dove, does that answer your question? No, it doesn't answer my question. I discussed putting, I, the question was putting your children first. And if the two of you were married and had children for 10 years and were raising them in a particular fashion because you decided to leave that particular fashion, which is your right, does not give you the, should not give you, and your parent, if you're a decent person, you recognize that your children come before you. Anyone that has ever raised children recognizes that you put your children first. And when you brought up that mother who was dressed inappropriately at the Pesach program, she couldn't even hear what you were saying. You were not discussing her rights as a mother when she's not with the children. She could go out and do whatever the heck she wants to do. But if she is with her children she has a, and her children are in a particular type of education, which is what you were stating, then the mother should be going along with it whether she agrees or not. That's what you do as a parent. It's called self-sacrifice and putting your children first. Would you like to address that? Dr. Leibowitz, would you like to address that? I'd like to move on to the next caller. Hold on. Just to, hold on. I, I'm running the show. So just answer the question. We're going to be moving on in just a moment. No, I, I think, I, I, think I, I answered it adequately. I, I, see, I think this caller has their point to make. I think they've made their point. I think I've made my point. I really don't, I, I don't see, I see this as, you know, going around in a circle. So that's why I'm saying I don't personally have anything else to add. All right. A anyway. All right, Hadov. Thank you for your call. I appreciate yeah, okay. it. Okay. Everybody sees the truth now. Okay. Thank you. Let's go to Muncie, New York. Liba in Muncie. Go ahead, Liba in Muncie. Thank you for yes, waiting. Hi. Yes, hi. Thank you. Um, well, since um, the – actually, first I'd like to kind of respond to the last caller, if I may. Sure. Go right ahead. Um, I would be curious as to whether or not the last caller, you know, how he would feel if a parent became a Balchuva after a divorce and wanted to start raising their kids from, or at least, you know, in some way. And whether they would feel the same way, because I think that I think that um, that would you know there's a lot of hypocrisy involved, where people really just want to impose their way of thing, of, of doing things, period, with no changes, with no flexibility at all, and and the whole thing about you know maintaining lifestyle of the child really doesn't play into it. And so you know I really think that that's very hypocritical, and people really need to think about things in a more nuanced and fair way. Yeah, but let me ask you this. Do you think, Lee, would you think that in the case of divorce where a child went through 10 years or 8 years of yeshiva education and the most extreme example where they take the, they want to take the child out of yeshiva and put him in a public school or some other school, do you think that's in the best interest of the child where they had a certain way of doing it and all of a sudden it's being completely changed? Well, not necessarily. And I think it would depend on the individual child and the individual situation. To take a child directly from custody to school and put them directly into public school, 
might be a problem. Um, but I don't think, I mean, I don't know that much about this case, but I don't think that's what's being proposed here. Um, you know, I actually found out about this case by reading about the article in the New York Times and finding out that this child is receiving, you know, basically almost no secular education at all. And, you know, I think that people, when they, when they hear about these types of stories, they say, okay, you know, I'm from, I should be on the side of the from parent, you know, period. But when I think about, you know, my community where, you know, my father's educated, he goes out to work while he wears a black hat every day, um, you know, and, you know, has, you know, went to college and everything. Um, this is this is not the same thing. You can be from while still getting a, a, a full a full secular education, along with you know Lumude Kodesh, you know Lumude Hall. This is not this is not something that is unheard of. Well, you're talking but, about the <laughs> education, and by the way, the different yeah. schools. If you look at the Hasidic yeshivas, some have a better secular education. You know, the more yeshiva systems certainly have yeah. a better secular education. So. Uh, and I, so there's not one there's not one size fits all. Some have better than right. others, and that's the separate issue with education right. and the schools and how much science and how much English they be learning. And by the way, I, I think that there should be a better education. When I get emails, and I'll show you some emails with people who are educated. Well, they're older, they're smart, but their grammar is off, and, and that should be corrected. It's my opinion. Um, but right. I, well, so the, the problem here, though, is, and, and again, I only know based on what I'm reading in this New York Times article, but my understanding is that this specific school that this child is going to basically teaches almost no secular education. And I was looking into this a little bit more, and I was reading online um, this letter that the principal of the school sent to the court because apparently um, Beatrice apparently moved a mile outside of the Hasidic community, and this principal couldn't even spell the word principal. Okay. In his own letter to the court. Literally. I, I saw the letter from uh, from the uh, from a school where the principal was spelled wrong. Uh, the, was full of grammatical mistakes, and I don't think the principal realized that Bedford Stuyvesant. I think it was where the parent moved to Bedford Stuyvesant, and they were saying there's no kosher supermarkets, and certainly you can get kosher food in Bedford Stuyvesant. It's right. a, so, so. I guess my my point my point is that it's not to me at least as an outsider looking in, right? It's not a matter of, you know, this woman wants to take her kid away from Frumkite, period. Um, you know, it's a matter of not necessarily wanting to conform to every single little thing that this specific community and this specific other parent wants. And the idea that there should be no flexibility at all, regardless of the situation, that the Hasidic community, period, that they get everything that they want and she gets nothing that she wants. Is very is just very one. Well, listen, it's a shame. That's what I said before, and then we're going to move on. It's a shame that obviously there was a lack of communications, perhaps during the marriage, and that lack of communications continues in the divorce. And obviously, when you're in a marriage, you know, you work things out, you work it as best as you can. And in divorce, it's just a shame. This is true, not just a religious issue. This is true of general issues. I see so many divorce cases where it's. It's like a war going on between the parents, and whatever yeah, one. And, and it's a shame. It, it shouldn't be yeah, the way, but unfortunately, that, it is. Before you go, I, I just I also wanted to say there was one thing I really did agree with you on. You were saying it's not a purely personal matter when you're dealing with from kite with a child, and I actually agree with you on that. And the truth is that the Hasidic community gets very involved in these cases. They raise huge amounts of money to enforce their way. Period. End of story. And I think that if because if, if yeshivish people, if modern Orthodox people look into this, 
particular case the way I did. And again, I'm not related to them or anything like that. But look, looking into this and the idea of keeping this child in this Hasidic bubble, you know, insular, that no outside influence should, should get in at all, that that is something that should be enforced, like like that's Torah Messinae, that that's wrong, and I think that people should... Yeah, but, but let me put this way. But, but here, here's the flip side of the coin. If you have a couple that decided to, li- to live a Hasidic lifestyle, and they lived that lifestyle for 10 years, 15 years, whatever the amount was, and one parent, whether it's the wife or the husband, decides, you know, I want to out and I want, I want to leave. So the question is, do you change that perception? Do you change that lifestyle for the children? That's the maybe, issue over maybe here. Maybe a little, just like it's the parent. It's not a question of little, but you have, after, you have to after, understand. After but that should, be, that should be done through discussion, and it should not just be done arbitrarily. And I know that you have the right to do so, but the question just be you have the right to do doesn't make it right to do. But we're going to have to take a break. Thank you for an intelligent mm-hmm. phone call, and I appreciate your sure. calling in. Thank you for listening. We have a lot of call. We're going to get, we get some more of your phone call. And we return right after the following messages. Stay tuned. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Talkline Radio and TV with Zeb Brenner is just phenomenal. Everybody concerned about the Jewish community should listen and watch. He has the best guests. He asks the most interesting questions. He's always so well prepared. It's talk radio and television from a Jewish point of view at its very best. To advertise on the Talkline Network and Talkline's email and social media blasts reaching over 70,000 people, please call 212-769-1925, extension 100. That's 212-769-1925, extension 100. Or email info at talklinenetwork.com. You're listening to Talkline with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. Welcome back to the program, Mom. Zev Brenner, we're looking at custody issues, we're looking at Jewish education and Hasidic schools. Our guest, Dr. Hannah Leibowitz, professor of public affairs at the University of Texas, and Beatrice Weber is a mother of 10, a writer and the speaker. Let us go to Judy, Judy in Brooklyn. Your question or comment. Go ahead, Judy. Yes, hi. So I'm a special education advocate, and I work with uh, families with children with various uh, learning disabilities, disabilities, special needs, for over 25 years now in New York City. And I have to say that you cannot hold the New York City public school system as the gold standard in education by any means. And I find that many children who go to Yeshiva education actually come out with a much superior, far superior education than public school students. I've actually spent better part of this year rescuing children from the public schools because the Yeshiva's opened in-person learning and public schools have opened distance learning because of the issues with the teachers' union this year. Children have been falling through the cracks, and I've seen children who have come to me, the parents came to me, the children have learning disabilities. They have IEPs year after year after year. The public schools doing absolutely nothing to, to mediate their, their um, issues. And I know that the local yeshivas, I work with many of the local yeshivas, and the yeshivas have in uh, resource rooms in, in person, um, very well-staffed, they really try very hard to work with local school districts to get services for the children. Yes, there are some yeshivas that need to improve, but by and large, the majority of the schools that I work with are extremely devoted and really do provide a good education to the children. So I don't think it's fair to pick a few, you know, poorly run schools and say this is the this is the uh, what the community has to offer. It's not accurate. I have to tell you, the public schools are really 
crumbling in New York City, and there's st- students who are stagnating and really not learning much. And I, I know there's this group, Yafed, that's been going around um, trying to uh, say that we should have seven hours of secular education in yeshivas. It's, it's not accurate because the se- there's not even seven hours of secular education in public school. And the, um, the city and the state have been trying to uh, increase the amount of hours of secular education. And the truth of the matter is when you look at all the free periods that public st- school students have, and you look at all the other things that go on in their school day and the fact that they have a much shorter school day, they're really not getting much of an education. And you, and you cannot compare that to the wholesome environment that the private schools and the yeshivas have. And I even say secular private schools are far better than public schools. But I think Beatrice wants to chime in. Go ahead, Beatrice. Yeah, I can, I can take this one. Yeah, you're 100%. You're 100% right, Judy. There are many, many good yeshivas in Brooklyn, in New York, and all, all over the United States. However, there is a sub-segment within the yeshiva system, specifically the Hasidic schools, that provide extremely, extremely minimal education. Um, they do, do not graduate above a fourth grade level. And I think it's actually abhorrent. What's going on is parents and educators like you who do see good yeshivas providing good education don't advocate for these children, for these, my son, and tens of thousands of other children that do not graduate knowing how to spell or read above a third or fourth grade level if they're lucky, that have never opened a science textbook, that have never learned the continents, okay? They've never learned the names of the oceans. There are tens of thousands of children, and it behooves you as an educator in a private yeshiva who is giving a good education to speak up for these children. But, but, because I'm sure that you want these children to get those that same education. Bira, let me ask you this question, though. And, and listen, I support that they should be better English education and people should be able to have a much better science knowledge. But the point is, though, if parents choose to send their children to such a school, and again, uh, lots of good yeshivas and Hasid yeshivas that are excellent. You have some that, as you said, that don't teach English adequately. If a parent decide, or parents decide to send their children to such a school, don't they have the right? Okay, so there's there's two points that I want to answer this. So first of all, um, actually, it, it, it's a little bit different than the way you're saying it because in New York State, you're obligated to send your child to school. And this already becomes, I don't want to go into it, but this already becomes more of a bureaucratic thing that if every child needs to get an education. A hundred years ago, they decided that every child, there's compulsory education, and they decided what that means, so that has to happen. So that's number one, but I'm not going to get into the bureaucracy of that. What I do want to get into, because I think people that are outside the Hasidic community, and even if you're very from, and you, your next-door neighbor is a Hasidic person, you will not understand the social pressure. I cannot tell you, since I started speaking up about this issue, how many people have reached out to me and thanked me for doing this, and they wish they could speak up, but they are so scared. People are terrified to take a stand. People are scared to say what they really think. There are many, many parents in the system that would love to have a better education for their children, but they know that if they speak up, they'll be shunned. They won't be able to get good shidduchim for their children. They, they'll lose their jobs, so they keep quiet. It's the, it's the leaders that are making these decisions, and the individual parents would love to have a better education for their children, but they're not able to speak up. But let me ask you, if there's going to be a change in those schools and those Hasidic sex, would that change come out better or perhaps more of a chance of succeeding if it came back for somebody who is currently part of the community as opposed to somebody who's outside the community? 
that that would be wonderful. But here's the thing in the community. The minute you start to speak up, you're considered an outsider. That's the, that's that's exactly what I'm talking about. In theory, is that 100 percent? I wish that we in the Hasidic community could have the capacity to stand up and to demand change. That's what should happen. Absolutely. If but parents want to have change, but, but change. if parents want, if parents get together and want to have a change, it could but happen. Zev, Zev, they opened up a school. They, was opened up for Hasidic parents. Okay. 25 children were enrolled, and the night before they were supposed to open up, they were shut down. Why? Because the principal, the principal who was supposed to run the school, not 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 the Judaic study, okay, the Yiddish principal that was supposed to run the school, got a call. If you open that school, we're kicking out your kids, your uh, all your kids from the schools that they're enrolled in. Okay, they were threatened, and they had to shut down. It is not possible, Zev. You, I know you're very familiar with the firm community, but I don't think you understand the fear and the pressure that Hasidic families live with and that they cannot make the choices that you're saying that they should make. Listen, I spoke with the parents. No, I just want to add, add something. Um, so first of all, I want to be clear that Beatrice is a parent, right? She is a parent. She has a child in the school. She's not outside. She is a parent, has a child in the school, has a right to advocate for what she wants her child to have in, the, in, in the, her child's education. Uh, what she's advocating for is not based on you know, some, something outside, right? She, she's there, she's in it. Um, but I also want to add that to your point about, you know, parents kind of, you know, organizing or getting together, you have to understand that in a community that's based around fear, there's a lot of a sense of isolation when you think differently than, than you think the way you're supposed to think. So organizing requires some, some level of unity and, um, and, and community and, and knowing that other people around you might also be thinking the same thing. But when you individually isolate people who start to think differently, or you tell them just by thinking differently, you're already on the outside, you can't organize. And, and I say this as somebody who's been on the ground organizing, who's studied organizing, who has um, you know been a reporter covering organizing events. It's really so important to understand that. So you're never going to have a collective action movement of parents within the Hasidic community advocating for change in their schools because the whole way the community is run is to make people who, who, who start to think differently think that they don't belong and think that anything that they think differently, they have to shut down and they can't start talking about it. If you speak to these parents one-on-one, -on -one, like people like Beatrice and I have done, you find that a lot of them are thinking these things. But the minute you say, why don't you call up other people in your child's school and talk to them a little bit more and see if they, see if they feel the same way, see if you can do something together, they will not do it. They won't. So, so that whole model of, well, if parents got together and said this, Zev, I, I, you know, I know that you're just like Beatrice said, you know, you're very familiar with with the from community. And I'm sure you're very familiar with a lot of different from communities where this does happen, where parents can say, look, I have two kids in a very from school and I've been able to advocate for things in my school. Because when I go to other parents and I say, hey, look, I advocated for this. Nobody says to me, what? You think you could do that? What right do you have to do that? You're questioning this and this and this. How, how could you? How dare you? No, I talked to the parents. I, I spoke to the parents in Borough Park that. who actually took tutors to teach their kids better English. But that's and different. That's a parent. That's, that's, so, the, so see, Zev, that's very different because, again, that's an individual parent decision. You're never going to change a system. Changing a system requires a movement. It requires a unity. It, requ it requires community. It requires a group to say, we as a whole don't want this. Exactly what you're saying is what individual parents have done for years, which has gotten their individual kids through the system. But you know what? But, but Lots the of parents. Uh -huh. One second, Zev, let me just finish. Let me okay. just finish. Lots of parents don't have the money to hire private tutors. Lots of parents don't even understand what's being offered and not being offered. Lots of parents 
Lots of parents want something different, don't have the capacity to do that. All of the research that all of the research on private and public school resource allocation shows that it's inequitable. Some parents are able to get a lot of resources and some parents are not. So do you do you run a school based on, well, we're going to run at this very, very low standard. And if parents want something more, they can individually provide it. Or do you run a school saying this is the standard that every that will ensure every student has success and every student can excel. And if you want more than that, you can absolutely go for more. And that's the problem here is you can't rely on individual parents having the capacity, having the resources, having the time. Do you know how many kids these parents have? Right. It, it requires so much. So why not just have the school teach? But some parents are happy with the way it is, too. Let's look at the other side of the coin. So you have some that may want change and some that are just happy the way it is, the way it's been functioning, right? You have both sides that are there. Do you have that? One second, Sam. I, I just, I just want to know, do you really have that? Because I've been on the side. I, I've seen all of the material that comes out every single time there's, you know, stand up for your yeshiva education. And let me tell you, I mean, I don't know if you've seen the announcements, but they're all they're never announcements that say, that ask parents openly, you know, there's no surveys that ask parents openly, are you okay with every single level of this and this and this and this and this? There isn't. The, the, the choice is between how we run the school right now or the government coming in and doing X, Y, Z. That's not the same choice we're talking about right now, Zenf, right? We're talking about saying, do you want 90 minutes of secular education where we bring in an educator that doesn't take anything seriously and no one's really learning and whatever? Or do you want two hours of secular education with a good teacher who's going to teach your children? And then they'll, they'll go back. They'll go right back to their, to their Jewish studies and, and everything is great and perfect and amazing. That's not the option that's being given. The option that's being given is between these two extremes where obviously if you're a parent, you know which choice you're going to make. I mean, that's not a question, right? For a lot of parents, that's, uh, you know, do I want the way my school is or do I want the government to tell my school? Uh, of course. But well, that's well, there's a separate option. issue of government. Listen, there's also a reluctance to have government involved in religious life, and that's true of bris mila, of circumcision. It's true of education. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's a very big conversation that everyone in the community needs to have. That's a real conversation that needs to be opened up. But when the choice is not between... Should we have two hours of solid secular education learning or, or however many hours it is where your child, we won't take an extra minute, but we will give your child at least the basics that they need? Or do you want what we currently have, which through time and time and time again has been proven is very not strong, is taken not seriously, does not accomplish what needs to be accomplished for a child to be successful in life? That is not the choice. And I'll tell you, I have family in these systems. You know, Beatrice has a child in this school, right? And, and we see what happens. And we've talked to parents who have said, yeah, you know, I probably want a little bit more, but this is what it is. But that's not the choice they're being given. The choice they're being given is between do you keep it exactly the way the system is or do you let the government come in and change everything and destroy everything and ruin it? That is not the choice we're talking about. That's not the choice any rational parent can really should really be having. Right. The choice rational parents should be able to have is what do you want to see in the curriculum of your child? What, what do you want to see in the education of the child? That's not the choice that's being presented. Well, I don't think can there's. A, go ahead. Beatrice. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes. Is, is that Judy? Go ahead, Judy. Yes. Fine. Yes, yes. I'm sorry. So I, I have to say, this is not accurate. I, I speak with hundreds of families a, a year, uh, many of whom are Hasidic. I am not Hasidic myself, but I am part of the firm community. But I have spoken to, to many, many families who um, may have some issues with their child's school, and they easily switch schools. There are other schools. There are other choices. Families have done many different things, including sending a child to a school out of the area, um, finding other schools. There, there are different school options. A lot of the parents who send the children to the schools that they do opt to send them there. And the, and the choice is not 
send your child to the school that's not educating him or send him to public school, which also, by the way, will not be educating him properly either. The choice is find, find something within uh, the, the, um, the community that would, re- would meet his needs. And I have seen uh, Throckmore children being sent to a Robert school because it worked better for the child and the parents did it. I've seen Puppa children being sent to a regular base Yaakov. So, but let me let me ask you a question. Sorry, because I, I think that's a great please, point. Yeah, we'll let, let her finish. Yeah, please don't tell the Hasidic community short, because some of the parents, yes, in any cross section, I speak to many public school parents who are not Jewish, also, and some are better advocates than others. You, you can't paint everyone with one brush. You, you, you know, a lot of the Hasidic parents I speak to are extremely uh, uh, well educated and not ignorant at all, and are tremendous advocates for children. So we can't paint them with a brush because they dress a certain way or they're from a certain community. You have to look at each person as an individual. But if, if a family comes to me and says, my child's struggling in school, what should I do? I always look out of the box and I look at all the different options. But it's not black and white. Oh, And I'm getting, I'm getting quotes. I'm getting calls. emails, Judy, too. People can send to different yeshivas. They can pick up and send their other choices out there. It's not like it was years ago. And yes, I understand if you belong to Bubba, you want to send continues to Bubba, but you have options out there if you really want to make some changes. We're going to have to just do a commercial break in the station ID, so thank you for a good phone call. We'll be right back. We are online 24-7. Like us on Facebook. Talkline Radio and TV with Zeb Brenner is just phenomenal. Everybody concerned about the Jewish community should listen and watch. He has the best guests. He asks the most interesting questions. He's always so well prepared. It's talk radio and television from a Jewish point of view at its very best. To advertise on the Talkline Network and Talkline's email and social media blasts reaching over 70,000 people, please call 212-769-1925, extension 100. That's 212-769-1925, extension 100. Or email info at talklinenetwork.com. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. We are back. Our guest, Dr. Hannah Leibowitz, professor of public affairs, University of Texas, Beatrice Weber, is a mother of 10. Here's an email question from Sylvia to our guest. Number one, are there any Hasidic schools who give the boys good English education? The answer is yes. I'll let our guest respond. Does anybody know what Rabbi Yaakov Harish has to say on this issue? He's very open-minded. Beatrice, did you want to tackle that? Can you repeat that? I didn't hear that clearly. Uh, Sylvia wants to know, are there any Hasidic schools who give the boys a good English education? And does anybody know what Rabbi Yaakov Horowitz has to say on this issue? He's very open-minded. Yeah, so there are uh, there are a handful of Hasidic yeshivas that do, but they're considered um, kind of more moderate or more on the left. You know, they're not considered the mainstream, at least from you know where I come from and where my kids go to school. So, but there are, and I don't know how, where where he feels about the subject. Though I do know the school that he runs, or at least used to run, did provide a very good secular education. Let's go to Israel in Rockland County. Go ahead, Israel in Rockland County. Your question for our guests. First of all, as sad as it is uh, when parents and children are separated, there's always uh, three sides to the story, as the saying goes, his, hers, and, 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 and the, the truth. truth. Right. Okay. As, as, as difficult as it is, and as many as Skolem were working for your husband, I'm sure there were a Skolem working on your behalf. Um, and and while, while he, he got, was awarded custody in the courts, you took it up with the state education department 
which is something that has nothing to do with them. If there's a problem with the custody, appeal it. It has nothing to do with the um, you were standing in front of City Hall advocating for your Fed. That's two separate issues. And as difficult and as horrible as it is, um, number one. Number two, since, and you can answer if you want, but um, my other point is, um, since this has um, segued into an education issue, Dr. Leibowitz, I'm also a doctor, I'm a doctor of divinity, um, you know, 20 years of rabbinical degree. Um, you're sitting in Texas, 1,500 miles away from you, and you're telling us how our yeshivas are doing? From Ashar to Satmar and the dozens and dozens of yeshivas in between, parents can choose where to go. They can even go to public school. There are from children in Rockland County in public school. All our children went to public yeshivas. We are very proud of their Yiddish and English education. Myself, I went to yeshiva and yeshiva only. I have worked for multi-billion dollar Fortune 500 companies, government jobs, etc., and everything is yeshiva taught and educated. So when people want to, you know, can we improve it? Absolutely. Can some improve more? Yes. But to sit on a pedestal in Texas and pretend that you know the internet. Hold on, hold on, you're strong. But well, you can sit in Texas and know what's going on in Brooklyn. Come on. I mean, let's let's be fair. If you want to raise other concerns, well, Beatrice, yes. Beatrice's kid grew up in, 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 in Rockland County, so let's talk about Rockland County. Okay, so obviously, from what Dr. Lieber was saying, she has no idea what's going on among these. Okay, I think Beatrice wants to respond to you. Go ahead, Beatrice. I said that actually most of my children did not grow up in Rockland County, so actually that's not true. But we 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 he came to Muncie several years before I moved to Brooklyn. But um, yes, of course. Again, nobody argues that some yeshivas do provide a solid education. Absolutely. At the same time, we also know, and what what I'm trying to advocate for specifically for my son, but in general, to talk about the fact that there are there are yeshivas that don't provide anything or barely, barely anything, and that's all, and that should be changed. Uh, yeah, I want to. I want to just add. I, I just want to add um, a, a few things. First of all. Um, I, I lived in New York, actually, and I looked around and decided that I didn't like the schools there uh, and subsequently moved uh, several times, actually. I still have a lot of family that's there. So on a personal level, I don't think this is me, you know, just being in Texas and being entirely removed. I don't think that's true. Uh, in making those changes, though, I recognize a lot of people who could not make the same. I think that in having this discussion, we also need to understand how difficult that can be for the entirety of a family uh, to go through that and to completely shift who their friend group is, who their community is, um, to do all those things just because they want, let's say, another half an hour of English or in, or the 90 minutes of English being provided to be, uh, you know, at a higher level. So I, I had a lot of privilege in being able to leave, uh, being able to have the support that I needed to actually leave New York and to go seek out a different community where my kids could be from and where they could be raised in a school that I felt I would have agency in. Um, so that, that's just on a personal note. Uh, on a more broad communal level, I, I really think that a lot of this, this, this discussion, and I think Beatrice and I have been really clear, is not about all of the yeshivas that are doing fine. Uh, it's just not. Beatrice's child happens to be in a yeshiva that's not doing fine. Beatrice, as a parent, tried to tried to advocate for a change. Um, I, I also think you have you know some of the details of Beatrice's case wrong. Um, so and you can talk to her about that 
in a different setting. But this is this specific issue is about the schools that aren't teaching at a high level of education. Uh, the people who come out of these schools clearly do not measure at rates that other students do in other yeshivas. You can point to the exceptions of this rule and people who have been successful later on in life. Uh, but the question when we think about a school and an education system is not, oh, will there be exceptions later on in life that will be fine? It's how do we teach kids? How do we teach kids? How do we provide them with the, educa the education necessary? Um, and so I, I think that that's the really the broader conversation here. And I think as Beatrice and I have noted, there are parents who want to see change. Uh, I think the last caller mentioned that in specifically in special ed cases, there have been families that have been able to take their children out of specific schools and, and put them in other schools. For a lot of parents, they can't. And a lot of parents feel that there is so much potential pushback in doing that. Um, and so, you know, I think others have, they have a right to say, maybe something needs to be changed. Maybe the schools need to be changed. Maybe some things that are going on in the schools aren't working for everybody. That's what the discussion is. Yisrael, you sound, which yeshiva did you go to, Yisrael? Shocker, Vizhnitz. Myself and my wife, we also went to Vizhnitz. Now, speaking about yeshivas, instead of saying, and I'm sure that neither Beatrice no, Dr. Leibowitz would choose, minus the Yiddishkeit issue, neither of you would choose the other end of the spectrum, the public school system, whether it's in New York City or in upstate New York, because they are failing, not to mention all the drugs and everything else that's going on. But this discussion isn't about only two ends of the spectrum. It but never let me, let me has been. Nobody hold on, hold on. has had that Dr. Leibowitz, let, let, hold on, hold, let Yisrael finish, I'll let you respond. Go ahead, Yisrael. I didn't interrupt you, so please, I would... I would Go ahead, Yisrael. Yes, so Go ahead. Okay. Now, when you're talking about change, first of all, let's not pretend that the vast majority of yeshiva, especially as from Yidin and people who have children in the school, the vast majority do an excellent job, a superb job. I've been in Albany advocating for children. I've watched yeshiva students come and speak for the assembly and, and the senators. Okay? There are some, okay, and a very minute minority that are bad. Okay, but we can all improve. Now, speaking of a switch, you don't make it sound like someone wants to switch from a yeshiva has to go to a co-ed, um, um, you know, modern orthodox school. Yeshiva's preventive argument is not co-ed. It's as firm as it gets. Okay, they have a lot more English than some of the Hasidic schools. So don't make it sound like it's either A or Z. There's a lot in between. Now, back to the other part of the divorce. There is support on both sides. One side always loses. Sometimes both sides loses. But it's as bad as and as boogeyman sounding it is that the Hasidic community band together. They band together for the husband and they band together for the wife. So let's not make it sound like this boogeyman kid job. I, I appreciate your phone call. Thank you, Saul. You're very articulate phone call. Beatrice, let me ask you this question. I'm beginning from our listeners. Can you name some of the Hasidic yeshivas that are doing a good job, in your opinion? Trying to uh, trying to think, I I think there's a yeshiva in in Bar Park called I can't remember offhand the name now. Um, that's supposed to be reasonably good. I, I I don't know. Maybe one of your listeners know the name of it. But you know, I, I, my son goes in Williamsburg, and as you know, I think Baratsky, right? I think yeah, I think that's one of them. Yeah, 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 that's supposed to be uh, 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 you know a, a good level of education in Williamsburg. There is not one. My my son's my son's yeshiva is actually considered to be the best, uh, provide the best um, secular education than in in the entire Williamsburg. And in Williamsburg, there's tens of thousands of boys attending yeshiva. So there's a lot of children in Williamsburg 
who are not receiving even what my son and but I, I want to stress that the girls yeshivas do a much i don't oh, yeah. with oh, yeah. the boys they, the they, girls they, yeshivas they, are, are pretty good yeah. as far as education and secular education is concerned it was even chronicled by by dr Klanzer, kranzler i think about 20 30 years ago he wrote a book about williamsburg and even then you had the girls education was certainly yeah. much better absolutely speaking of williamsburg chaim and williamsburg your question for our guest go ahead chaim and williamsburg yes uh are you, are you, you hear me I hear you loud and clear. Hello. Go ahead, Chaim. Yes, Chaim, yes. go ahead. Okay, my question, my question is this. Uh, I was listening about an hour ago, three quarters of an hour ago. Uh, this man called, uh, and he said you're not supposed to go to court. And the answer was the, the professor and the other woman, only court, court and only court. Then there was a conversation about that the woman can come with skimpy clothing to the children, the, the Beatrice, whatever his name is. She said that uh, the mother has a right as a parent to decide what is good for the children, just like the men. My question is simply this. What happens if the woman decides to become a Christian? Is she entitled to take her children to Christian? And why not? What is the difference between Christian or between non-religious? Or can she come with a, with a Salem, you know what I mean, with a cross, to see the children? And if not, then why not? What is the difference between this? Or what, what if it goes the other way? What if it goes the other way? What if you have a family that's a Christian family and the mother decides to convert? And she decides to convert through an Orthodox conversion, wants to put her kids into a Jewish school, wants, wants them to go through the conversion process and the gay risk process. Then what? Would you, would you say no? Absolutely not. Leave. You're not. It's not going to work. It's not good for the kids. Don't do that. What would you say? I'm sure that the Christian side of the family would definitely object to that and will not allow it. Neither would the court, by the way. I don't think the court would allow that. And why would you think that the court should allow you to do whatever you want to do? Explain to me that. First of all, it's not about doing whatever you want to do, right? And I think we've had this discussion a few times. It's, it's about the fact that a parent does not lose their right to parent because of their individual decision making, right? And, and I don't think that's true though, because what if, what if that, what if conversion, what if whatever it is that the parent is going through, that's a conversation that needs to happen between the parents and the court and the child to understand whether that impacts the stability of the child. Look, we've been having a lot of conversations right now around yeshivas, right? And saying, well, if you don't like the yeshiva, then take your child out of it and go somewhere else. But we also just had a conversation where if a parent decides after a divorce that they don't want their child to go to the yeshiva anymore, oh no, that's totally destabilizing for the child. So obviously we all can recognize that there's a lot of nuance here, right? There's a lot of nuance. That's why it's important that the parents, the child, the lawyer, the court, be the people who decide what's best for the child at any given time, not a community that doesn't know the details of the case, that's not involved, that can't decide who should be whatever just based on who's, who they think is more religious, but the parents, the child, the court, and the lawyer. Anyway, I thank you for a good phone call. Uh, and by the way, I mentioned the precedent. There was a court case in Denver where a couple got divorced and the woman who was Christian and converted to Judaism went back to being a Christian and took her kids to church where the court awarded spiritual custody to the father where she couldn't take the kids to church. That's a court case as well that I just mentioned that I mentioned earlier. Okay. Spiritual custody, one second, I just want to say, I just want to be clear for your for your listeners, spiritual custody is not a conversation in New York State law. I don't know if in, if in Colorado it is. Uh, in New York State law, spiritual custody is not something to consider. Um, I'll also add that there is precedent in New York 
specifically a, a recent case where the parent was given the right to choose based on their First Amendment rights to choose how they wanted to live. Um, and and they and that didn't impact the custody uh, agreement. So I just want to point I'm that sure out. I'm sure the court depends on different jurisdictions, on different court presses and court cases. Let's go to Mordechai in Flatbush. Mordechai in Flatbush, your question for our guest. Go ahead, Mordechai. Hi. I wanted to address something that Dove said. Um, Dove said that Hasidish parents have the right to send to yeshivas that don't educate. Um, that is completely false. Parents cannot choose to harm their kids. Educational neglect is harm, just like nutritional neglect is harm. Parents do not have the right to do that. You can't do breast ironing, foot binding, or starve your kids. It's not your right to hurt your kids. It is against the law to not educate your kids as it should be. The Hasidish yeshivas are criminal, literally, even though they're don't, Hold on, hold on. Don't say that they're, they're not criminal. You may not like their, some of the schools. They're not criminal. They, they have... Hold the on, hold on. couldn't even write a letter. Don't, who are we talking to here? We all know that Hasidish yeshivas don't teach. My cousins can't write a, a, some a of them, English. So, hold on. Some of them do, and some of them have better educational well, and other great. schools. So, so, don't, so hold on. Do, you, you said... Hold on. You said... My name is not Dove, by the way, so let's get it correct. Okay, my name is not Dovid. So hold on. We're having a conversation. If you're going to monopolize, we're not going to have a conversation. So the point is, though, is you have some Hasidic yeshivas that do, and some have better educational sense as far as English is concerned. To call them criminal, they're within the rights. And if you have a parent, don't like, and and a parent has a right to where they want to send the kids. If both parents... The schools the law. are operating, and they're operating in New York, and it's, and, the, and it's against the law. But the political power prevents the, enforcement. So that's so you're so you're saying, but they're if they're operating, they're kosher. If you they're not being closed down, people are aware of the they situation. You're going to tell a, me a, political distance, but the fact that, that they're open. So if you, you come, you say that they have the right. They do not have the right to parents do that. have parents the right how they the want right to educate their children. Their own children. I, I would like to have. I'd like to see a better education, better English. I'd like to see that people, some of the yeshivas, will have a better English, English and grammar. Math, science, but, any of those okay. things. I, 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 I agree that, that, but the point of parents have a right. They have the right to send to those yeshivas. It is against the law. You said they have the right. They do not. If they're breaking the law, law, then the New York State has not closed them down. If they're, they're functioning, so you can't Great. say they're breaking the so, law. Okay. You can commit all sorts of crimes, but if you don't get caught for them, it's not against the law? No, but it's, it's fully aware. Everybody knows what's going on. Everybody knows what they're being taught, oh, what's not being taught. They don't know. They do these studies and but, they delay their reports. They all you know. You may not like what's going on, but the they, they know what's going That's your interpretation. That's your interpretation. Anyway, I appreciate your phone call. Let's go to Alexander in Brooklyn. Alexander Brooklyn, your question for our guest. Go ahead. Shavuto. First of all, to your previous caller, I went for an interview for teaching for Bob of 48 three years ago. What they wanted me to teach to fifth grade. I didn't even have to do in college. And when I graduated university, I didn't have to write like that. What they wanted me to teach fifth graders. And the mathematics that they required of me was way beyond anything that your guest probably sees in any public school around except the charter schools. So before you go off against the Hasidic community, I'm not a bubba, by the way. I just applied for a teaching position. Before you go off, it's really not fair if you don't know the facts and seems prejudicial. Next, maybe that the schools are teaching what the parents want. Have you ever given that? That some parents really don't care. And I taught the whole different yeshivas in Borough Park, maybe five or six of them subbing and teaching, whatever. 
maybe the parents really don't care. I try to teach mathematics properly, and a lot of kids told me their parents can't even add or divide whatever. And they said, my father's a dying. He says, how can you learn and be a dying and no chosh mishpit, no you're a dying chosh mishpit, you have taruvis, or you have contracts and you have to litigate if you don't know mathematics? He says, what do you mean my father's dying and he can't even do that and he's whatever? Because the parents don't care. And other places they do care. Why didn't you try teaching the way you're saying that the yeshivas are teaching in the Hasidic schools in Borough Park, in my neighborhood? Listen, I, 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 personally, I think there should be a higher educational standard. There should be more math taught and more English taught. I said this time okay, and time again. I agree. I, I, I I'd like to say, agree, I, I, and by the way, by the way, I think it's Bittel Torah. If you're sitting in an, it, but, but, you know, if you're sitting in an English class and the kids are not paying attention, that's Bittel Torah. That's taking away from Torah study because if you're I there. I did that to learn, some of the kids in literature when I was teaching. I told them, what are you doing? It's Bittel Torah. If you're going to learn math. It was Paskin Halacha. It's not built up because you need math for Gemaras and Arabin, you need math for Tarub, for Chil, you need math. But if you're not going to, if you're going to suffer, you're going to ca- carry on, it's Mamish Bittel Torah. And they even want, in one class I told that there's enough kids that are over by Mitzvah, I'm giving Asra with Adam. And all of a sudden, the rest of the kids there in Liturgy, they all backed away from this kid. They had no, they want no part of Bittel Torah. So you, what you're saying is correct, but the parents, if they would really care, and they come to PTA and they say, we want our children to be able to add, divide, multiply do the mathematics correctly, because they're going to need it both in the secular and in this and in the religious framework. The yeshivas, I think, would do it. They asked me to do it. I think uh, Alexander is making a good point. There's some parents that don't care and want it to continue. Maybe some that do, and maybe some that don't. That's, um, that's there are options. Bubba 40, Bubba 48 is teaching it. That's an ultra Hasidic yeshiva. If you know Bubba's, you sure. can go there. Peter's. And I think Veen is also teaching it. You want to go through the yeshivas, you can go through, and you can find the good ones that do teach the way you're proposing this. And for the previous caller to say it's criminal, it is. Right. Obviously, that's why it's no, got, no, no, it has no. a chip Let's on his shoulder. Look at it logically. Peter, I'm going to let you respond to our guest. Go ahead, Tower Caller, Alexander. Go ahead, Peter. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not understanding the assertion that. Fifth graders were doing math on a university level. Is that what the caller said? I'm trying to understand that. Again, I'm trying to. Uh, could you repeat your question? So not, whether were, were you saying that the fifth graders were doing math on a university level? No, the English. They were trying to get me to teach English to write at a level higher than even in university. They don't require. They didn't require me when I graduated to write at that level that the yeshivas want me to teach the children to be able to do. Wow. So they're. This is Bubba 48. This is not some little yeshiva someplace. Wow. So so the fifth graders are being taught how to write on a university level. That's really interesting. I've never heard of fifth graders in any school setting writing on a university level. So that that's very, very interesting. I, I, the concepts they want me to teach to build into their writing capability. So in wow. English and, university level, and in the math, grade. The math wow. I can... I can yeah. The point is, uh, we are. I think the point that he's making is they, they, they that the expectations that that they had for him was much greater than just a fifth grade level. I think that's probably more. That's very, beyond very that. no, it's beyond. They it's wanted me actually to teach, not expectation. They wanted me to teach. So they're trying to get the teachers to teach this level that she's saying doesn't exist. Some 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 of your guests are saying it don't exist. I'm telling you, it does. Okay. From the inside, anyway. not from the outside. I mean, I, I, and also the people that are calling up 
about going to court, they should really look at Yeridea and Hashemishbet and then tell me that if they want no, to be but, Jews, but, but, they yeah, want to conform but, but, to Judaism. But Alexander, at the end the of the day, the courts, as far as custody is concerned, that's usually adjudicated by the courts. It it's adjudicated because you need to enforce to enforce the decisions. However, you shouldn't be running to the court the first thing. And like you said before, you finalize everything in Besden, and then if you need to, you have the to the, the problem is when the, parent, when the, parent, the, the problem is Alexander. I'd like to remind callers once again not to sign anything from a Besden or an Afghan before you go to court. You must go to court. No, do not rely on Besden. Do not rely on Afghan. Go Wait, hold to court. Hold on, hold on, hold on. If parents, hold on. If parents decide to go through Besden and they both just come up, listen. You only go to court because they can't reach a conclusion. They can't come to a, a resolution. But if you're able to come to a resolution, uh, that's fine. Go to Besden. That's the court has the right. What right? Look at what they're doing. Anyway, Alexander, the clock is ticking. We're going to unfortunately have to take a break right now. So we're going to come back. Our final stretch, we're looking at education. We're looking at uh, the spouses and divorce and education and custody of the kids. And we'll take some more of your phone calls. Our guest, Dr. Hanny Leibowitz, professor of public affairs from the University of Texas. Beatrice Weber is a mother of 10. I'm Jackie Mason. you probably saying to yourself, I've been lined up here. got no place to go. I thought it was a start. I love this stuff until I got this job. You know what my job here is? My job here is to talk about Zev Brenner. Now you're saying to yourself, you got nothing better to talk about than this? The truth is I do. But Zev Brenner said to me, I'm on television. People are watching me. But everybody knows that people are excited about me. They know that I have a great show. They know everybody loves me. But nobody cares to advertise on it because they don't know that people are watching it. Who's going to tell them? Somebody has to help out. The United Jewish Appeal is an important cause, but it's nothing compared to this, because the United Jewish Appeal makes a fortune. Zev Brenner can't make a living. You know why? Nobody advertises. You know why they don't? Because they don't know people are watching. I'm watching the show, but I found out I'm the only one. Why am I the only one watching? Because nobody advertises. Why don't you advertise? Help this man out. He can't make a living. For free information about advertising on TalkLine's television programs, please call 212-769-1925. That's 212-769-1925. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. Let's go to Avraham in Kensington. One second, Seth. I'm sorry. Yeah. Before, before we bring on the next caller, I just want to I just want to be really clear about something. Um, because we we've talked about this, uh, you know, based in issue. I just want to be really clear that if, if people do go through a based in for determining custody, that there be a lawyer present and that you understand that ultimately it really is the secular court system that can enforce custody agreements or change custody agreements. And that's what I mean when I say don't go through a Besdin. A Besdin is obviously an important part of any Jewish divorce. That's not a question. We're not. That's not even here to be discussed. But it's very, very important that anyone who does go through a Besdin recognize that ultimately when it comes to custody, the American legal court system is the one that will enforce that, unlike with a get um, necessarily. And, and again, New York state law may have its own things, but generally it is the American legal court system that determines that. So if you go through something with a Besden or with an Askin, you have a lawyer there to make sure that if it ever goes to court or if the court needs to be involved, which it likely will still need to be, that a lawyer has still been present. So I just want to be really clear about that before we have on the next caller. Thank you so much. Okay, no, absolutely. I, listen, the Besden is an important process, but at the end of the day, everything that's done there has to be enforced by the courts, custody, and whatever uh, financial arrangements that are, are going to be there is going to be enforced by the courts. Okay, let's go to Avram and Kensington. Go ahead, please. Yes, you go with I'd like to speak about the educational system because
because the conversation has uh, revolved to that area without any particular reference to uh, divorce situations. In my humble opinion, any religious group that decided to emigrate to the United States after 1863 should be morally bound to obey the laws of compulsory education. They could have chosen any place in the world to uh, resettle, or any state in the Union, or any territory of the United States. If they particularly chose to, to live in New York State, then they should abide by, abide by the laws of New York State. Now, it, there are public interests in, uh, in pro providing proper education to all children, um, and uh, it seems to me that one of the major issues is that the um, graduates, or whatever they are called, should not become burdens on the public sector. So uh, we know that there are great pockets of poverty in certain villages in upstate New York, and we also know that there are gavirim, uh, people who are wealthy, who support the Hasidus. It seems to me that the Rebbeim should get together and figure out how to provide a roadmap for the graduates to make a decent parnosa. If, if, it's, if it's not through the traditional way that we understand as Americans, then let them provide a roadmap for each student, uh, like they did in the communist system. We, we assign you to do this job, whatever the thing is. You have a question for our guests? Yeah, my question is, would, would you be tolerant of an uh, educational system in which the, um, the schools were to provide a roadmap for Parnassov for the children uh, going forward, even if it did not involve the traditional uh, ways? I mean, traditional American ways. I mean, I think when we equate, this is Beatrice, I think when we automatically equate education with Parnassa, we're kind of missing the point. There is another aspect to education that, um, that a child gets that helps them in their life besides for earning the Parnassa. Of course, that's a major outcome. And yes, rates of poverty as a result of not having an education are, of course, going to be higher, as, as has been shown in many studies in, in the community. But there's also other benefits to getting an education. So why would one want to deliberately deprive one's child of getting that? And honestly, in, in my opinion, and you know, being that you're talking about people emigrating, I think the state of affairs that we're in today is really a result of neglect and, and has turned into, has become into a, a religious issue, a, a, a right a rights issue, but actually, you know, again, I, you know, I have grandparents, everybody, Holocaust survivors came here after the war, came to Brooklyn, you know, started, started the few, few first Hasidic Chadarm, and they, they didn't know any better, you know, they tried their best, they put together a school, put together an hour or something of English, and, they, and then guess what, nobody came to enforce it, nobody came to check that they were actually doing a right job, so then over the years, it just got worse and worse, because there was no oversight, they didn't have the education to know how to give a proper education, and it just got worse and worse. So why, why do we perpetuate that and continue that? Why don't we just look at ourselves, say, there's an issue here, there's a problem here, how can we improve it? And again, talking about all the social ramifications of speaking up in the community and, and the resistance to change is preventing that. But really, I, I don't think that it, it, it deliberately came from a malicious place. I think that over the last you know, since the 50s, right? So we're talking about 70 years now of not having proper oversight of people who are not educated, leading, running the schools, right? I've spoken to school principals. They're not educated. They've not gone to high school. They're the ones putting these things into place. Uh, and it's just been neglected for so long. So I think it's time that, you know, we all look 
we all look at reality. You see what's going on. And yes, go ahead. And yes, provide that education. Anyway, Avram, again, thank you for your phone. We we're almost out of time. So let me okay, go to uh, Stanley's been waiting for over an hour. Stanley Forrest Hill. So go ahead, Stan. <laughs> I apologize. We have a lot of calls tonight. Of course. But it wouldn't be a night without having Stanley calling in. Stanley calling in. <laughs> you know, you're, you're a good person. Anyway, let me say this and sum up because I know you're fighting time. This has been on for an hour and a half, and you've been veering to one side of this whole thing, and that's been the education factor. But you missed the whole point, the marriage. You missed the fact that the woman was in an orthodox relationship and could not and got a divorce and had enough and is getting out of orthodoxy. And that is part of the situation that involves the problems with the children. If this was a secular, maybe regular Jewish whatever situation, and their kids were in public school, we wouldn't be having an hour and a half on this because the mother would be in charge of the education and the father who would not be orthodox would tend to let the mother keep the children in public school and so forth and so on. There may be a fight on this and that, a visitation, but let's get real here. This is about Orthodox Judaism. That's what it's about. Nothing more, nothing less. And people have a right to have their say in court, and the woman's right. She's absolutely right. It should be done. But we wouldn't be having this conversation if this, was, this woman wasn't married to an Orthodox situation. Your kids would be in regular public school, not necessarily yeshiva, but because of the religious education, the husband, you know, I mean, we should put him in here. Or, you know, I want him to have so the you, so, so your question that you have for our guest is? Is we wouldn't be having, don't you think if you were not as religious and you didn't marry an Orthodox, you wouldn't be in this situation? You probably would get a divorce, but you'd be in charge of the education, and that would be no problem, correct? Possibly. Stan, I, I appreciate it, but you know what? Thank God that there's or, or, orthodox education. I'm not complaining about that, obviously. No, religious education is necessary. Absolutely. But look what happened here. Look what this woman went through. That's the point. She, if she had not married religion, I'm not saying she should have, but it happens in religious education, not just Jewish, Christian, whatever. So that's the point. That's the point. Yeah, you, she'll wind up going to this kid who's an orthodox, blah, 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 blah. But that's the point. Sally, thank you for making the point. We're almost out of time. I did okay. want to get at least one email, have one WhatsApp question, so we apologize we didn't get to all of you tonight. Here's a question for Dr. Leibowitz. Is it fair to say you do not trust Besden, that's the Jewish court of law, and as far as you're concerned, a woman or a man who is seeking custody should go to a secular court and never go to Besden? I think I made that clear several times, and I just made that clear once again. But obviously, um, people have that, so, so that's why. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, but like I said before, I ab- absolutely Besden is an important part of the Jewish divorce process. Uh, my point in saying not to rely on Besden is specifically when we're talking about custody issues. There are documented cases of malpractice that happen because somebody signed something in Besden or in Askin or whatever that then go- is is enforced by the secular courts, but they've never been seen in the secular courts. The secular courts weren't involved. A lawyer wasn't involved. And it really is a big problem. So, of course, Besden is obviously involved. When we're talking specifically about should a custody decision be made by Besden or by an Askin, 
Um, if, if, if that is necessary, absolutely an experienced lawyer needs to be involved because ultimately it is in the courts, in the secular courts, where it will be enforced and where it will uh, really uh, surface. Okay, here's a WhatsApp question. What about the hundreds of successful business owners in Yeshiva Hasidic circles where the education served them well? So there are many immigrants who came from other countries who English is their second language who are very successful business owners. But some of them, obviously, they, they speak That's English. All. and Okay, you look, you have like a Hasidic Hasidic and you have others that have done well. Successful. Of course you can be successful, if, even if you don't have an education. Of course there are going to be those individuals. But, but, Do uh, I see what, a what, huge difference? Simcha has have... an education. Come on. He tells he doesn't have an education. Do do I see a huge difference between um, my girls and my boys? Absolutely. And is that a result of their education? Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, it's a known fact. I mentioned Dr. Kranzler, who's a sociologist, another who said that in the Hasidic world, and in Williamsburg, he picked that as his study, that the girls' education, they learn more secular subjects than the boys. That's been true 30, 40 years ago. It's true today. No and question. that helps them with their career later on. So I've seen that in their careers that it helps them later on again does that mean that you cannot have a, be a successful business owner if you went if you did not get that secular education of course it doesn't mean that of course not and i just want to add also that this ahead. is not all about just getting a career right it's not all about getting a career like beatrice said but i want to i want to delve on delve into that a little bit more because um having a career is just one part of your life if you live in the united states you need to be able to read in English, to write in English, to do basic math, to understand basic science in order to navigate a lot of your life. That's not just your career and being able to be a, quote, successful business person. It's not just about can you make money with whatever you got in your, your yeshiva education. That's not ultimately the question, right? There is so much more that goes into that. And we all recognize that. And we know that from a Jewish education, right, with the way that we give our, our yeshiva education to our kids, right, isn't Oh, well, are they ever going to have a goat? Are they ever going to have a cow? Are they ever going to this? No, of course not. We know that there are broader lessons that education teaches you. We know that there are broader ways that we need to understand the world. And we immerse our kids in it, right? And that's what, and we, and we try to do that. We understand what's, what, what we're seeking for our children is to have a happy, healthy, successful life. And just having a business that makes money is not the end of that. Well, so there's more to but obviously, but, but they're successful business people who also speak English, know how to write, know how to do math. Of course, of so, course. And that's and the picking, point, though. Not the fact that they're making money, the fact that they're successful. From a community, of course. And picking individuals from a community and saying, look, they have that education, they're fine, also ignores all the people who also went through that educational system and aren't fine, right? That we can't document in the same way. But my point is that we need to be, expand this beyond can you get a job that supports you and pays you with this basic minimum or, or non-existent English education. It's so much more than that. It's so much more even having the ability of you as a person being able to navigate your life. It is way beyond but just the, being but, able but, to have but a But in the case of divorce, it's unfortunately a lack of communication, which is, goes beyond even the religious community. There is an epidemic in divorce in society in general, including affects our community, and that's some of the issues that we've been talking about. Joy Manhattan, sorry, we're not going to get to your email and the other callers, but yes, people can get a tube and everybody can afford one. The question has been about the educational system. Dr. Hannah Leibowitz, Professor of Public Affairs, University of Texas, Beatrice Weber, mother of 10, writer and a speaker. We appreciate your being part of our show tonight. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Have a good night. Have a good night. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.
This concludes TalkLine's Jewish broadcasts on radio for tonight. For continuous Jewish programs, please go now to TalkLineNetwork.com or our 24-hour-a-day listen line at 641-741-0389. For past shows, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms or JewishPodcast.org. Thanks for listening to the TalkLineNetwork.com.